0: Welcome to the Two B Blunt podcast, the Blunt County-based podcast talking about Tennessee sports. Uh, I'm Troy Provoheron, battling a little bit of a cold, and I'm here with my co-host, Taylor, who is now subjected to my sickness.
1: Yeah, you conveniently left that out uh, before showing up at my house, but, you know, it happens, I guess. I was battling, battling some illness uh, a couple weeks ago, powered through, so much like the Tennessee basketball team, just gotta keep fighting. Can you stop jumping ahead? To our topics, it's irrelevant, is it? Yeah, the team's got the flu. You're over here just coughing, sneezing nonstop, I coughed once just making constant news. noise over there. Not even that bad. It don't sound good,
0: but I'm gonna I'm gonna work through it. Audio's not gonna be great on this podcast. No, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go through. We had to talk now because we don't have any time to talk in the near future. So uh, let's let's get it out of the way. Uh, one team remains. They're the last Mohican. The Maribel girls are the only team still playing after a week of region tournament action. Uh, they will play Science Hill on Saturday to play for a spot in the Clash A State Tournament. Uh, and they had an opportunity to host against Dobbins Bennett, but things did not go their way late, Taylor, against Oak Ridge in the uh, region final.
1: Well, that's because Oak Ridge has what's... He's probably the best player in East Tennessee.
0: I would agree with that.
1: I don't think there's anybody better than Jada Gwynn, especially not right now. She is on an unbelievable tear this season.
0: Yeah, no, I think she just, if I'm not mistaken, I just saw a tweet that she, with her buzzer-beating three-pointer to beat Maryville, uh, she tied Nikki Fargus's uh, single-season scoring record at Oak Ridge. So I think you're probably right. I don't think there's many players playing as well as uh, Jada Gwynn is playing
1: right now. I couldn't have told you Nikki Farr just went to Oak Ridge.
0: I didn't. I had absolutely no idea until I saw that tweet. I was like, "Wow, that's incredible." Well, good for her. You learn something new every day. Yeah. Um. So, like I said, uh, Jada Gwynn, uh Maryville's up three with forty with 22 seconds left after a Denae Fritz layup. Um, Jada Gwynn gets a three at the top of the key, drills it. And Maraville trying to hold for the last shot. Uh, They'll fumble around the loose ball. A loose ball with about 10 seconds left. Uh, they corral it. Scott West thinks about calling a timeout. He doesn't call it. He decides to let him play. Uh, Courtney Crothers dribbles the ball off her foot. Goes into the backcourt. Get called for an over the back with 1.5 seconds left. Uh, nobody touches Jada Gwynn on the inbounds pass. She just gets a free run. Gets the inbounds pass. Falling away to her right. Buckets ball game student section, uh, storms the court, and Mariville looks sad, and that's how it ends, just like that.
1: It sounds. I, I wasn't there. I did see the video, the final shot on Twitter, and nobody picked her up. But it's not like she just stepped into a clean, wide open three. Took her time, smooth shot. I mean, she was leaning. She kind of had to flip it at the goal and square just at the last second. I. Hit, it was just a fantastic shot is the bottom line. That's unguarded. That's a tough shot to hit from that wing right there. So, yeah, Maryville messed around. in, in The other end of the floor, uh, Oak Ridge never should have had a shot, but they did, and at that point, you just kind of have to tip your cap to the best player on the floor and say, yeah, we messed up, but at the same time, you probably shouldn't have hit that shot, and you did, and now we're going on the road. I, I would add
0: to that point, though, that you can't let Jada get the ball there like it is a tough shot and Scott West told me after the game hey you know 9 out of 10 kids if they shoot that exact same shot it doesn't go in a lot of them don't
1: draw a rim on that shot
0: but she's the one where it does go in and we can't just give her an easy look even though it wasn't easy but you can't even give her a look at it I, I, I think you have to try and play her to a way where she doesn't get that ball there and anybody else on the court has to beat you
1: that's ideal but that's easier said than done when you've got someone that quick who's uh who's trying to get open right there. Well, I mean the problem is is she, so they're
0: inbounding at the half court line after the over and back and she stands in the back court and basically it's a free run. And once she's running they they didn't put anybody in the back court to kind of check her. So she gets a free run and once she's running there's really nothing you can do at that point. She just catches the ball on the run, takes a couple dribbles and fires and you're at the mercy of her at that point instead of if you put I think Aaliyah Venando was the closest player to her. If you put her on her and basically body her and say, okay, you're going to have to work around me here, it makes it a little harder to get her the ball. Maybe Oak Ridge has to get the ball to a different player. And with 1.5 seconds left, you can't really afford to pass after you get it to another player. So the player's going to have to shoot. That would be my only critique of that situation. I just don't think you let, I guess, the equivalent of Kobe Bryant on the court shoot the ball because Kobe's going to make that shot.
1: I want to go back to the offensive end. Yeah, let's do it. it because in high school basketball, it seems odd how often those dribble-the-clock-out situations turn into chaos or turn into turnovers. Yeah. You know, and I mean that's what you have to do in that situation. You have to take the last shot. But it just seems odd to me in the high school game how often someone is trying to dribble out too much clock and moving around up top, you know. The five second rule, which is not in the college game, but it is still in the high school game, obviously plays a huge part in that. But it's just interesting to me how difficult teams seem to make that scenario.
0: Yeah, and I, I give a lot of credit to Oak Ridge because when I guess there are two sort of philosophies to it. When when you're when an opposing team is doing that, is either you can sit back and just wait for them to kind of get in their offense, but we're going to play our best defense when they finally get into it and we'll just try and get a stop and we'll play for overtime. Or what Oak Ridge did was they pushed their defense way up and basically pressured every single thing Mariville did and, and forced them to be perfect with the ball, which I think is the way you go about it. But also you risk the chance of fouling somebody and putting them on the line to win the game, kind of like what we'll talk about at LSU a little later. But uh, you know th- there is risk involved in that. But Oak Ridge did a fantastic job of pressuring the ball at every touch and every point and not fouling and making it very difficult for Mariville to kind of wilt that clock
1: down. Well, you're putting pressure on the ref to get that five count going. And every official has a different five count, what justifies creating enough space to break the count. And so, as a guard, you're sitting there dribbling in the corner of your eye, you see that that hand moving. And you know he's counting. You don't know exactly what he's counting to. Yeah. And sometimes you think maybe you've created enough space to break the count. The official doesn't agree. He's still counting. It's, it's a tough situation, and that Oak Ridge team is so athletic and so quick that it's so hard to create space like that. And it, it's easy to see how mariville would fall into that scenario where they, they don't get a shot up there.
0: Yeah, and it's the third consecutive season that Oak Ridge has bounced Mariville from the region tournament, and I guess what I'll have to say here is uh, wh- what do you look at in terms of, you know, now you're traveling to Science Hill instead of playing at home and and playing your sectional game in terms of what I think might be the best high school environment in this area, Taylor. So especially for girls basketball, you know, not being able to play there and having to travel, you know, a 100 or so miles or whatever it is to Tri-Cities, I guess how much more of an effect do you think that has on, you know, them having to now hit the road and go play Science Hill?
1: I mean, it's obviously difficult to go on the road, but to me it's not necessarily about having to travel. It's the difference in Science Hill and Dobbins-Bennett. Because that Science Hill team is really good. I think they've lost three games all season, maybe four. They've won 13 in a row, and they've won 14 home games in a row. So, not just playing, you know, wherever you play Science Hill, that's going to be tough. And it's a good Dobbins-Bennett team, but to me there's a pretty significant drop-off there between those two teams. So even if you have to go on the road to Dobbins-Bennett, I mean, that's more preferable than playing a Science Hill team at home to me. It, to me, it's not quite about where you have to go. It's more about who you have to play. And that Science Hill team right now is just its clicking something something real nice. They're playing real nice basketball. It's, it's going to be really tough for mariville to go all the way up there and get a win. A
0: lot of games this time of year, Taylor, are close, like that region final game was. I guess mentally, does losing that game the way Mariville did play any factor in that sectional game and if they were to win going to the state tournament and how do you kind of you know you being a former high school basketball player I mean a bench <laughs> player but but still former, how do you kind of balance that
1: uh, yeah I was a part of one region tournament team okay uh, my sophomore year we got to the district championship got balanced in a very questionable call uh, Gallatin player let the ball go about a second and a half after the buzzer. Uh, referees counted it, chaos ensued, our our best player punched an exit sign on his way out, broke the exit sign, was suspended for the region game. Uh, we had to be escorted out the back of the school. There were Gallatin fans waiting outside our locker room. It was an interesting situation. Uh, but in that case, we got the host, but we ran into an Alex Poythress-led Clarksville Northeast team who got upset in the uh, in their district tournament and had to, to travel on the road in the region semis. So you lost. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, Alex Poitras, not a good high school basketball player. He was six eight, uh, which in high school basketball might as well be seven foot five and did not step inside the three point line the entire game. Irrelevant. Complete non factor in that game. Uh, that's beside the point. My Yeah, you really went on a tangent there, but I, I appreciate did. it. I It it made me mad then (laughs) that for some reason you don't put your 6'8 player inside the three-point line. I don't
0: know. There's a reason why Alex Poitras isn't playing meaningful basketball anymore.
1: Well, And he was already signed with Kentucky. It's not like you're trying to show colleges that, hey, he can step out and shoot the ball. He'd already (laughs) signed. It was just stupid. I mean, it was just – it was dumb. I say that to say the next year uh, our team made a run – lost the region championship game, had to go on the road at Brentwood, who had a one of the best home environments I've ever seen in high school basketball, mm. and they get a win and go to the state tournament. I don't think it has that big of an impact. Because mm-hmm. once you get to the region championship game, there's pressure. You want to play at home. But the region semifinal game is the most pressure-packed game you will play in the entire postseason. Yeah. I, I'm talking sectional. You get to the state tournament, that's a different animal. But if you're comparing the games leading up to that, the region semifinal is much more stressful game, much more stressful environment, even than the sectional game. So once you get to that region championship, in my experience, it's just kind of a weight off of your shoulder. Hey, we've guaranteed ourselves another game. We might have to go on the road. But, hey, we got past this region semifinal, and that's what really matters here. So... It's a tough way to lose, but at the end of the day, you know you're still playing basketball, and I don't expect this game to weigh on them at all mentally. You know, If this game impacts them, it's because they blew a, a good chance to host Dobbins Bennett at home instead of now they have to, to travel to Science Hill.
0: Yeah, and that game will be Saturday uh, at Science Hill, so pack your coolers and your lunch boxes. If you're not going to Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, that should be a good game over there at Science Hill.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good Science Hill team, but that <laughs> Parable team's really good, too. Yeah, they are.
0: I, I wouldn't be surprised if either team won, and, and I think both are deserving of playing for a state championship. And I think, if you ask Science Hill, I think they would have rather played Oak Ridge.
1: Probably. It, it's going to feel like a state tournament game. Yeah. I mean, it's going to feel like that game is being played in Murfreesboro when you go up there.
0: Yeah, and you just talked about region semifinals being a, a big game. We had two teams who lost in region semifinal games Uh Maryville boys their season comes to an end we talked about this last week uh you put yourself in a really tough position when you finish third in the district and have to play uh Bearden in the region semifinals and I'll give credit to Maryville uh after how they looked against Bearden and every you know different nuance Bearden threw at them whether it be Drew Pember uh Guardian Joe Anderson the first time it ended up losing by 26 um this time it's a 12 point game but really it was uh Three point game with a minute left. It really had every chance to win the game if they wanted to. Uh, just kind of collapsed late, and then, you know, once you fall behind three, six, with 40 seconds left, you have to start shooting threes, and Bearden was going to run up the score at that point. The Quez Glover had a windmill dunk to close the game. I did right. see
1: that. I made the rounds on, on Ooh, Twitter.
0: Boy, can jump.
1: That's a, a 5'10 kid getting up and, and windmilling it. Yeah, but I
0: I do want to give Marival credit because they played. They learned their lesson from that buck kick in the first, I guess the second time they played, the first time they played, Pember wasn't on the court. Uh, And they really did a lot of things, and I think we're going to break it down here, uh, that made that game a lot closer than it needed to be. But, again, this is what happens when you don't take care of business in your district tournament when you're viewed as the second best team in your district and you finish third.
1: Yeah, and Maryville is fantastic all year. Uh, Only lost to Bearden, I believe, in, in district play. Yes. So you lose one game in district play. You had a couple real tight games with Catholic, and then when it matters... One with West. A couple tight games with West. But yeah. when it matters, you just can't quite get it done in the district semis, and now all of a sudden you've got to get through maybe the best team in the state to, to keep your season alive. Yeah, it's, it's, they, they fought... They had it tied with what four minutes left. Had a chance to a good chance to take the lead there, but at the end of the day, they kind of put themselves in a situation that you just really don't want to be in.
0: Yeah, uh, and well, Garo misses a layup with about four minutes left. Joe Anderson has a three, rattle in and out, and and then Bearden I think outscores scores them twelve to three over the last three minutes to kind of put the game away. Uh, and something I mentioned a little earlier is. Drew Pember, Tennessee signee, the first time that he was able to play Marvel, They basically, Jeremy Perot put Pember on Joe Anderson, 6'10", kid, really athletic. Joe Anderson's not going to be able to shoot over him, not really going to be able to get by him, and Anderson handled it a lot better this time than he did the first time. He scored 17 points, which is, I believe, right below his season average, but he was really patient in allowing screens to set up, and I think... Maryville was setting really hard screens. Like, we're going to stay here, we're going to plant ourselves, and we're going to make you try to bowl through us. Pember committed four fouls on trying to get through screens. His third and fourth coming within a five-second span on back-to-back possessions uh, with about seven minutes left in the fourth. And then after that, Maryville really stopped going to it and, and going after it. And I, it was something that I kind of you know asked Mark Eldridge about, and he didn't really have a good answer other than, you know, early in the game, we felt that they missed some calls that Pember should have been called on and maybe could have gotten him out of the game earlier. But in that situation, when you have the guy who's causing problems for you defensively in terms of a matchup scenario, I think you need to be a little bit more aggressive going after when he has four fouls with seven minutes left, and they didn't do that.
1: I, I give Mark Eldridge a lot of credit. I've watched him play teams similar to Bearden over the years, seen him play Oak Ridge, uh, when Oak Ridge had T Higgins and, and those guys, he schemes up teams like that as well as anybody in East Tennessee. He schemed up Oak Ridge really well, and the first game uh, I watched him play Bearden in Maryville. And Maryville put off the upset. Defensively, they played Bearden as well as I've ever seen anybody play him. They they took Quest Lover out of that game with a box and one. And you said earlier they played zone yeah. the entire game in the in the region semis. And that bothered him. You know, Bearden isn't a great three-point shooting team. They're the most athletic team around by far. And Quez Glover and Trent Stephanie are fantastic players, but they're not necessarily shooters. They're guys that want to get to the basket and get uphill. And Mark Eldridge doesn't, he's never had the most athletic team around. But the way his teams can hang in games like this because of the way he schemes up opposing offenses is really pretty impressive to me.
0: And it was not only them going to zone and kind of forcing the shoot over the top of them, but it was also just mariville has been known all season for this fast-paced three-point you know, aerial assault offense, and they really slowed the pace and grinded them down. The entire game really ran the clock. Out. I mean, Bearden only scored 55 points. How many times does Bearden get limited to 55 points? And again, 12 of those are in the last three minutes. Like They did a very good job offensively and defensively limiting what Bearden could do from a strength position. They didn't turn the ball over a lot, didn't get a lot of you know those transition opportunities that really allow Bearden to kind of rack up the points really fast. Yeah, that's what you have to do. Bearden yeah. is fantastic in transition. And you, and you can't do that. Uh, and, I, and I do give them a lot of credit for that. Uh, the problem being, though, you have to be able to score your own points. Yeah. And when it mattered most, they didn't score for a four-minute stretch, and, and all of a sudden now you lose. But um, – now, you know, the question for Mariville becomes, you know, what do you do now? I mean, you lose Elmo Mugara, you lose Devon Kimball, you lose Emilio Cornelio, you lose Christian Gale. A lot of the important pieces that surrounded your star player, Joe Anderson, are gone. How do you go about reloading that? I know they have some good players coming off the bench that will probably elevate into starting roles, whether it be Drew Crowder or uh, Joe Burrows, but... You now have to try and figure that out this off season and kind of reload from a team that was probably one of the five best teams in the state but doesn't get the opportunity to prove it in the state tournament.
1: Yeah, you still have Joe Anderson, who is a top-five player in, in East Tennessee, had a just a fantastic season. And who you're really going to miss out of that is Christian Gale because Christian Gale, he hit well, he hit a stupid amount of threes in the, yeah. the region first round of the region tournament, That's seven great. or eight threes. I think it was, might have been nine. Anyway, uh, Christian Gale closed the year on an absolutely fantastic note. Devon Kimball's a guy who gave you just so much experience. But the way Mark Eldridge runs his offensive system, if he can find guys that can shoot the ball to surround Joe Anderson, I mean, this team will be just fine. And Joe Burrow is the guy who can absolutely light it up from three. But his system has always revolved around knocking down those threes. His guys are going to take... A, a lot of a lot of threes, that's what they're looking for, how to read those screens, get open looks. With Joe kind of leading the offense, if he can find guys that can spot up and knock those down, his team's going to be just fine. But what you're missing is that experience. Guys like Devon, who have played so much basketball. Christian yeah. Gale, who, who played so much basketball for this team. That's what you're going to miss. and You're really going to be relying a lot on Joe Anderson from a, a leadership standpoint now.
0: And I think that's what you want. I mean, I think you want your best player to kind of be that guy. Um, You know, obviously, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Joe and Devon had that spat a couple weeks ago. And as a leader now, you kind of want to avoid certain things like that. I think it'll be interesting to see how he elevates into being the senior leader, not just being the best player who is a leader. I think that's a, a different mentality when you have to also not only lead by your, you know, how you play on the court, but also by example, in the locker room, off the court, that's something that's going to be really important for him, and I think he'll excel in that. I don't have any doubt in that. But I think you're right. There are not as many questions when you're dealing with a Mariville team because I think the way their system allows them to kind of reload a little easier than they normally
1: do. It kind of reminds you of the Patriots. You know, they're gonna they're gonna plug guys into that role, and I mean, obviously, they haven't won multiple Super Bowls. Six, 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 six Super Bowls in eighteen years. Yeah, I don't think Mark just has a Super Bowl ring yet. But the way his system works, you just kind of plug and play, guys. Not not to take anything away from the guys they have now, but he's so good at, at just flipping over a roster and, and picking up where they left off. And the Alcoa
0: girls lost to uh, Gatlinburg Pittman in the region semifinals. Um, you know, Alcoa gave it their best shot, but their best shot included giving the ball to the other team a lot, and that's not how you win. Yeah, games.
1: You, you try to pass it to your own team when you get into postseason play.
0: <laughs> so, so you
1: don't pass it to the team in the other jersey? I, I'm not a coach. I'm not here to tell you how to do your job. I,
0: I think Elkoa must have turned the ball over 20-plus times and given up at least 20 points off turnovers. It just seemed like every time I looked up from writing my pen, like writing a score down, it was a turnover in a transition bucket. And a lot of that has to do with that, you know, I feel like I always hate using the word overachieve because I feel like there are teams that kind of teams that grow into what they are. And I think I'll co that, but I think you could look at what they lost last year and we've talked about it a lot, losing Katie Bean, Riley Hicks, Madison McClure. It would have been easy to not think they could go this far, but they did. I think they did. And at least in my mind, overachieve a little bit this year. Um, but it was the first game in a really a long time. And, and I, I, Watched them, you know, a lot over the last month, where they finally looked like the young team that they are, and I think that that kind of played a role into you know everything that went down at Gatlinburg Pittman.
1: And obviously, everyone wants to to get to Murfreesboro, but if you could have told people around that program that, hey, you're playing at Gatlinburg Pittman with a shot to lock up a, a sectional berth, I think a lot of those, you know, David Bauman, his staff. Probably would have been pretty excited to and have future, that opportunity. You mean future you? I, I don't want to get into all that.
0: <laughs> you guys look exactly alike. It's yeah. hilarious.
1: I don't know that I buy it, but... <laughs> I've heard that now from several different sources. Uh, Scott West told me that one day. Actually, Cause after a Because ex- you guys
0: look exactly alike.
1: Maybe it was Mike Driver. It was, it was somebody on that Marival Not staff. only
0: look exactly alike, you guys act the exact same way. There was a point in that game where they turned the ball over... And you know I played basketball with you a lot, and he gave you he gave one of the ah claps that you always give, and I started cracking up by myself. People around me were probably like, "What the hell's wrong with this kid?" And I thought it was hilarious.
1: Again, I don't want to get into all this.
0: Um, <laughs> well, continue your thought then.
1: What were we talking about?
0: Uh, oh two. no, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. With everything they lost, and if, if you would have told. Ballman that yeah you've got a chance to lock up a sectional berth here you're one game away he probably t- he's gonna take that and destiny Hayworth stepped up she was great last year but i mean to see the role that she grew into in- into this year she was absolutely fantastic for this team and she was a huge reason that they had a, a shot to get you know to get back to a, a place they hadn't been to often in the sectional round so it it's fun to see how this team kind of molded together didn't have a great start to the year yeah got off to you know struggled pretty heavily really so, up
0: so past three and eight yeah
1: past the middle part of the season until something just clicked and it's fun to see a young team that figures something out and watch them kind of kind of grow and realize that you know hey we're pretty good at basketball if we come out and do our game it is fun to watch something click like that and it was fun to watch alcoa grow up, and it's going to bode well for next year.
0: Yeah, Alcoa only loses two seniors from this team, two playing seniors. They had another girl who was a senior but never played, uh, just joined the team this year. So they lose Didi Snyderly and Jatea Wilson, and, and I asked David Bowman about them, and, and basically he said, uh, you know, they're two girls that are the sources of our toughness on our team, so that's the one thing that we're going to have to replace. And I, w- I wanted to give a, a tip of the hat to Didi Snyderly. I thought she played absolutely. She was the best player the most impressive player on the court to me at Gatlinburg Pittman, uh, she was forced to play at the four. And I think she might be five three, uh, <laughs> maybe, um, uh, and, and she was exceptionally gritty. Uh, really fought hard for rebounds, and I, and I understood where David Bowen was taking me with that statement. She played like it was her last game of her career, and obviously it ended up being that way. But uh, it, it was a tr- it was a really really gritty performance from her. From somebody who dealt with a, I think, LCL sprain earlier in the year in her knee, um, a really good performance. So you lose those two, and I, and so you know the question is how do you kind of replace that toughness that those two bring? But when you think about Destiny with average I think 17 points a game this year, uh, Kenzie Wilburn averaged about 14, 15 ish. Uh, they're set up to have a really good year next year, like you said, Taylor.
1: The question becomes now, how do you replace? In my mind, it's how do you replace Jatayal Wilson? where do you find that that kind of post-presence yeah. next year? Because Hayworth and Wilburn are great players, but neither one of them are huge by any means. You know, They're they're guards, and they're guards that probably aren't going to slide down low anytime soon. So if they can find a consistent post-presence next year, they have a chance to to make a run back to Murfreesboro.
0: I think the answer is Brenna Ridge. It'll be interesting to see how she develops in the offseason. She was basically the backup this year and played some pretty good minutes. So I think that's who they'll kind of lean on to kind of – be that role, but obviously I think you know she has some developing to do to become a Katie Bean or Jate Wilson. So I think that's kind of an important thing for this off season. Um, also, shout out to the Alcoa boys, the Greenback boys, and the Greenback girls for excellent seasons in the region tournament. Congrats to you guys! Um, and now let's talk some. Oh, and William Blunt girls. I don't want to leave you all out. That was good thing I caught that.
1: It's just it's hard now. You know they're in the region tournament every year. You just you kind of get used to. It. Well, and it's like.
0: Well, there were so many teams that made the region tournament this year that it was hard for me to keep track of them all. Like, i got so many teams. Well, you're down to one now. Down so. to one. Uh, let's talk Tennessee. All right. I have a lot of things to say about Tennessee. And I feel like this is going to be the first time in this podcast history we really argue. Like, really argue. Like, there might be some shouting. <laughs> Denton might get upset in the other room.
1: Denton's fine. Nothing faces that dog.
0: All right, so Tennessee lost to LSU on Saturday. I drove 19 hours round trip to go to Baton Rouge. Had some delicious crawfish. I, If you've never been to Louisiana or the New Orleans area, I highly recommend going. Cuisine is fantastic, delicious stuff. Um, but that's besides the point. Uh, Tennessee lost an overtime game to LSU. They rebounded Wednesday by beating Ole Miss. Uh, but, Taylor, uh, I'm just going to keep saying it. I, I don't know where the Tennessee team... That was a month ago, is anymore. And even against Ole Miss, I know that that's a big win, and like it's easy to look at that and say, oh, that's a great way to get back on track. You closed the game better than you did at LSU, but Ole Miss isn't LSU. You shouldn't have been in that position in the first place.
1: Probably not, but that's an Ole Miss team that can really shoot the ball. They hit some shots that they probably had no business hitting. I thought Tennessee's defense was okay. It wasn't great, but Ole Miss did hit a couple shots. You kind of have to. You just you tip your cap to. Offensively is where the issue is right now. Yeah, and it's they're doing what they've done all season. Nothing has changed. They're getting the same looks they've gotten all season. They just aren't hitting those looks. Grant Williams is drawing at least two, sometimes three people every time he touches the ball. He's been fantastic passing out of double and triple teams this year. And guys just absolutely cannot get shots to go down. We'll ask you this question that I asked last week. Then are they tired? No, I don't think they're tired. I mean, they're... See, that's no. where
0: I disagree with you. I think they are tired. Uh,
1: they they didn't look tired to me in that LSU game or that that Ole Miss game. They didn't look tired. To I don't me. I don't think like I don't think of it as like
0: looking tired, but I do feel like they have played so much that when I when I see a team that. Mentally isn't executing offensively the way that they have been. I mean, you look at them; they're averaging 19 assists per game. Uh, I don't don't not exactly sure what they had at all Miss. I didn't get to watch the whole game. That's 16, 16. So, I mean, they had 10 against Kentucky, or 10 against LSU, 11 against Kentucky, and 13 against Vanderbilt. Like the fact that they're not even like they are getting a lot of similar looks that they have in the past and they're not going in, but they're also just mentally not locked into the exact same offensive game plan. I think it's more mental tiredness than it is physical tiredness. And I I do think the minutes adding up is going to hurt them eventually because right now the only player that comes off the bench that other than Jordan Bowne that they can even remotely rely on is John Fulkerson. Um, I, I would add Derek Walker in there if Rick Barnes wanted to play him more than a minute a game.
1: He got four, I believe, uh, last night.
0: He plays two good defensive positions a game, and then Rick Barnes tells him to go sit his butt on the bench. Maybe was only two. And glue it there. I, I have no idea what the problem is there. Who um, refuses to play Jalen Johnson? And so I do think, from a physical standpoint, those minutes are going to add up. But I think from a mental standpoint, they're tired, too. I just think all of that, you know, what they've kind of gone through this year in terms of the winning, the expectations, uh, all the up, like the ups and downs of the last two weeks, I think it's starting to take a toll on them.
1: Well, I think if you're tired, it's because mentally you're taking everyone's best shot, and that wears on you. Teams are coming out and just, they're doing things against Tennessee that they haven't come close to doing the rest of the season. South Carolina hit, what, well, like 17 threes uh, a couple of weeks ago against Tennessee? A lot of threes. A lot of threes, uh, and they're not a very good three-point shooting team. So you're even after you've dropped the number one ranking, at this point in the season, you're a resume game. Yeah, Tennessee, it doesn't matter what Tennessee does. They could lose every game by 40 points here on out. They're going to the NCAA tournament. Ole Miss, off the bubble a little bit. Uh, Lenardi's got, them, I think, an eight seed right now. But there's a difference in an eight seed and maybe a six seed. If you beat Tennessee, you probably jump at least one seed line. That's what everybody's looking at. You're getting everyone's best shot, and yeah, that has to wear on you for for a while to play a team like South Carolina or, or Vanderbilt, and you have to bring your A game because, for the most part, these teams are bringing their A games. They haven't really had a night off in a while.
0: Did the end of the LSU game, whether it be regulation up nine with six minutes left or the whole overtime fiasco bother you at all? in terms of just the way they kind of tried to close the game out, didn't close it out. Uh, the mental mistake of Lamonte Turner shooting a three with four and a half seconds left. Grant uh, Williams smashing into Javante Smart with 0.6 seconds left for foul. I'm like, does any of that bother you or concern you?
1: I mean, it has to concern you. I'm not going to blame Grant Williams for that. I'm putting all of the blame for that on <laughs> Lamonte Turner. If he doesn't take just an absolutely horrible shot, then you know it was a, it was a dumb foul. But it's a foul that probably doesn't get called, honestly, quite often. You're probably not going to get that call too often. But they happen to get it right there. But that all starts with Lamonte Turner's shot. But it has to be concerning. Does it Do all of a sudden I think Tennessee isn't a good basketball team because they blew that lead? No. But, yeah, you, you have to kind of wonder what happened right there. It's more concerning... To me, not necessarily the end of regulation. Yeah, you'd like to hold on to the nine-point lead, but the end of overtime is is what's the most concerning. You have a chance to come down and get a really good shot. Grant Williams had been unstoppable over the last two or three minutes. Uh, been just fantastic. And I'm not sure anybody else on Tennessee's team had crossed half court yet before Lamonte Turner took that shot. and you kind of wonder why didn't Rick Barnes want to take a timeout right there. I know he made a big deal about the rule, uh, which is kind of a dumb rule that coaches can't call timeouts. But if you look at the replay, he's not telling Lamonte to come over and call a timeout. He's he's pushing him up the floor, telling him to go make plays. And I don't think he ever envisioned that would have been the shot and then the decision he would have made. But I kind of wonder why he didn't take a timeout let your team get set, let Grant get inside the three-point line. To me, the the mistakes on the sidelines almost are, are more concerning at this point than on the court.
0: I, I think the end of regulation is concerning just from the simple point of, one I, one, when you get to the tournament, every game is like this, and you have to be able to close out really good teams, and LSU is a really good team. Two, you have to be able to guard somebody. Like, just... At some point, when you know you're winning or the game is getting close, like you have to have that want to in you to just like say, this guy's not scoring on me. And every guard on Tennessee's team had a chance to guard Javante Smart, and every guard got blown by. Did they
1: put Jordan Bowden on him at some point? Oh, yeah. No. I didn't remember seeing
0: Bowden. Uh, Bowden twice gave up threes to Javante Smart on a jab step. Yeah,
1: I remember that. I didn't remember it was Smart, but I do remember the jab step and Bowden taking... Four or steps. five steps backwards for no real reason. So
0: at some point, you have to want to just guard somebody and say, hey, you know, let's end this. Let's get a stop. Let's get a bucket on the other end. And let's put them away. And every guard on Tennessee's team said, nah, we're just going to let them get to the rim for an easy layup. And uh, I think that's concerning. Again, like I said, the offense just not working the way it has been recently is concerning to me. And the fact that and and no Jordan Brown had a really big shot at the end of regulation there against Ole Miss, the fact that he's not I have opinions shooting
1: on that too. Just, uh,
0: not shooting well, well and the fact that Kyle Alexander just seems like a shell of himself. I think there's a lot wrong with Tennessee, and I don't think one win against Ole Miss is the answer for all those wrongs.
1: Yeah, and I know you told me you texted me yesterday and said Tennessee just wasn't a good basketball team anymore. And I don't think I'm gonna go to that point. I think Tennessee is still a good basketball team. I still team.
0: think they're a is Sweet 16, they're a regional, semi-final, regional, final team.
1: Well, and that's all you have to do is get to the Sweet 16, and then from there, anything in the world can happen. Because Tennessee is still talented enough to beat anybody they're going to come across, if they play a good game. But, to me, Kyle Alexander, yeah, the guards got beat, Lamonte Turner got beat bad to the basket several times by Javante Smart. Kyle Alexander, I think, came over one time during the entire game to play help side defense, and it was a block at the end of the game, at the end of regulation, that kept it tied and sent, basically sent the game to overtime. But that was the one time I remember him taking a step over to try and do anything. I don't know how many times I saw him kind of glance, realize that usually Lamonte Turner was beat, and then start to box out his guy. Like Javante Smart was going to miss an uncontested layup at the rim, former five-star prospect playing in the SEC isn't going to be able to finish an uncontested layup. Kyle Alexander has to get going. He had the flu last night. Didn't I think he played like 11 minutes against Ole Miss? So he was bad against Ole Miss, but you can't give a guy too much grief for, for playing through the flu. But against LSU, he looks like he's been playing with the flu for a month. Maybe you should tell people that. It might be a good excuse for him. Against LSU, he was atrocious. <laughs> How they managed to out-rebound LSU and really keep them off the offensive glass until the very last play without Kyle Alexander doing anything productive is really pretty incredible. I've never been
0: less impressed by a a, a Ballyhooed player like Naz Reed before in my
1: entire life. Yeah, he was bad. Oh,
0: He stunk up a storm in Baton Rouge. Should game. he have been
1: ejected uh, on the first play of the game, second play of the game? I don't think so. I think
0: you you can make an argument either I way. I think you can, and I remember seeing it. I I feel I remember seeing it immediately and thinking, but how is that not a flagrant? And how does that not get called immediately on the floor? Like why do we have to go to review to this? And I've watched a lot of pro wrestling in my days. and He hit him with a, a standing STO. If I've ever seen one.
1: Yeah, they um, didn't get tangled up. He I don't know why he got mad that quick, and I don't know. if... Grant Williams said something about his mom, but I don't know how you can make a guy Wait, that bad. Elbowed,
0: elbowed Grant Williams in the face early, later in the game, and then they didn't call. And then uh, they actually called an offensive foul on Grant when he got elbowed in the face. Um, and then he got the hook and hold that they didn't eject him for at the end of regulation. And on your point to Kyle Alexander, too, because I'm going to add, add this, uh, at the end of overtime when LSU scored their game-tying basket before Lamonte ejected up with three to five seconds left, uh, Kyle Alexander did rotate to help, only... Grant Williams had there was absolutely smart, no, need to no reason to help, yeah, and I then it that. led to two offensive rebounds that led to the game-tying bucket when it could have just stayed there, gotten the rebound, and they win the game. Yeah, the
1: guy took a shot over Grant that had absolutely no prayer of going down.
0: <laughs> no, so there was that too. But um, what were we talking about before we got on this tangent?
1: Uh, should Naz Reed have been ejected? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so? What are your thoughts on Anthony Jordan? On the, I think he's a bad official. I don't think he's corrupt or anything like that. Can you name that. me one official you like? No, because if you can name them, they're not good. Do you like TV Teddy? I, I think he's a better official than a lot of officials. I don't care for his antics and his stupidity love, on the floor. I love his antics. but And he's going to have a couple calls a game that he knows are bad calls. He's just calling to get a little attention. But as far as actual officiating, he's he's really not that bad. But if you know their name, they're not a good official. And so Anthony Jordan's not a good official. Anthony
0: Jordan, Pat Adams. Yeah.
1: Doug Schauz, guys like that, not good officials. If uh, you don't know their name, chances are they're doing something right. I love T V Teddy.
0: I get real excited whenever I see he's going to call an offensive foul because I know he's either going to do the full sprint down the court <laughs> and call it or he's going to do the triple hop like he's a baseball umpire the play at the plate. and I get really excited every time.
1: There was a game uh, a couple years uh, I say a couple years ago, it was back when J.P. Prince was playing. Uh, I kind of think they were playing LSU, but something happened. Uh, Prince got upset about something, said something to a player, and TV Ted kind of got between him and called a technical and got absolutely in his face. Called the technical and then followed him around the court, daring him to do something. Before I think it was Tyler Smith grabbed TV Ted and had to haul him away from JP Print. It's stuff like that that bothers you. He's one of those guys that's just waiting to give a technical. He's just he wants that excuse. He didn't give one to
0: he didn't he hasn't given one in any Tennessee game I've seen. Will Wade should have gotten a technical in that game. Yeah. yeah. You, and Kermit Davis probably shouldn't have gotten a technical last night from everything I heard.
1: Shouldn't have gotten a technical. Should've. He did get one after he right, threw he his jacket across yeah, the right. floor. But he should have he probably should have gotten one well before that. Yeah, I don't understand the whole Vanderbilt cut it to two. They were down 12 last I looked. Tennessee's bad. It's a bad Tennessee team. women's basketball team. Uh, yeah, Will Wade, it's not like he complained. I mean, he was stomping, he was <laughs> screaming. You know, he looked like somebody took his candy away. There was a little girl in front of me at Dollar General the other day who, who wanted a Milky Way, and her mom wouldn't let her get it. And that was a similar reaction that Will Wade had on the sidelines. I, I was confused at why. They kind of let Will Wade control that game. But my thoughts on Anthony Jordan aren't that he's corrupt. I just think he's bad at his job. And I do think it's incredibly stupid to post something like that on Facebook when your entire job is to be objective about sports. That's like my job is to edit content for a website uh, for a company in in Sevierville. It'd be kind of stupid if I posted on my social media account that I actually don't know how to read. (laughs) And then somebody from from the company looks at that and says, hey, if this guy can't read, why are we paying him to edit, to edit words for us? That's kind of, you know, even if I am an LSU fan or not an LSU fan, I don't know. Just don't put it on Facebook. Don't post something that stupid and we're not having this conversation.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I don't feel like Anthony Jordan leaned one way or not, or You know, or leaned any more than not
1: intentionally. Not intentionally, or
0: leaned any more than any other ref would do when LSU's at home. You know, I don't, I don't feel like that at all. Um, Obviously, there are a few calls here or there that you could look at. I guess the hook and hold, but I don't think any, I don't know that any referee is going to eject the five-star center out of the game with a minute left. My problem with the hook and hold is there's no consistency to it. And I asked Rick Barnes about it Monday, and he seemed. As perplexed as everybody else is, like, he basically said, we all know the rule, and I don't care if you have to eject somebody on it or not, if it's the rule, you have to follow the rule, and they, he did, without saying it, said they didn't follow the rule.
1: Well, it's a clear hook and hold, no question about it. If you don't want to call that with a minute left in, I think it was a tie game at the time, I get that, but if you don't want to call that on replay when you're staring at it over and over... I don't think you should make the call at the end of the game. If you don't want to dictate the end of the game at regulation, at the end of regulation, I don't think you should dictate. Because that was also a foul on Grant Williams. Yeah. So they're both clear fouls. I don't think you should pick one to try and decide the game and then let the other one go that would have had an impact on the game.
0: Well, The problem to me, I guess, with the Grant Williams foul is I Grant has to be smarter in that situation. Like, What are you giving up if you don't lunge at the ball? You're giving up a 70-foot heave at the basket? Yeah, it was a smart play. I mean, sometimes you're going to get penalized for stupidity, and that was a really dumb play. I mean, it wasn't as dumb as the intentional foul Jordan Bone had or any of those plays. I mean, again, Tennessee just didn't play well at this LSU. I guess that's that's the main point here.
1: They didn't play well and still led by nine in regulation and had a shot to win the game in overtime, I don't know how many teams can have the ball with five seconds left in a tie game and lose. That's really hard to do. So they didn't play well, but at the end of the day, they're at a top 15 team and still played well enough where they probably should have won the game. Right, I got two more topics before we get out of here. Uh, well, actually
0: three, because you said you wanted to talk about Jordan Bone scoring uh, that that pull-up jumper. At oh, the end Bowden? you Bowden, sorry. My only
1: point on Bowden is... That was a three point game with Eighteen Seconds. Eighteen though. seconds left. He's wide open for three. No one within five, six feet of him. And he pump fakes. The Ole Miss guy looks at him like he's stupid when he pump fakes. And like any defender when Eve pawns pump pawn yeah, fakes. And almost blocks the two. It was a great shot to knock it down, but wide down three with eighteen seconds left, you pass up just a wide open three to take a really, really tough two. Is beyond me. Great shot, you know. If he knocks it down in any other situation, it's like, yeah, okay, nice shot. But in that situation, you have to take the wide open three.
0: Okay, now two topics left. What are your thoughts on taking a charge thirty feet away from the basket?
1: It, I mean, I'll preface it by saying it was obviously a charge. You know, there's it was no question charge. about it. I don't it. know He's, why Kermit Davis thought it wasn't a charge. Uh, at that point, you might as well get a tech. Like, you know, the game's over at that point. <laughs> no, because Jordan Brown traveled. And they didn't call it at the other end. It took nine steps. Yeah, but then you're inbounding under your own basket with 0. 0.4 seconds left. So you don't like it. I mean, the game's over at that point. So you might as well get a Christian Leitner. Who cares? Yeah, there was a lot more than 0. 0.4 seconds left when Christian Leitner caught that ball. Derek Fisher. I don't know what you're referring to there. Derek Fisher turned around, 0.2 on the clock. He got it off. Was that a full court pass to get it to him? No, it wasn't. It was an, a half court pass. Yeah. Game's over at that point. He might as well get a technical. Who cares? Okay. Uh, he might get fined. I mean, it was a pretty demonstrative. I don't think fans are throwing things on the floor if Kermit Davis doesn't chuck his jacket across the floor. I think he kind of set the tone for that. He decided so. to write. He might have. So I think you're probably going to get a couple, maybe a couple fines coming down from the SEC for that. So clearly a charge. Not even close. Just sitting there waiting on him. It It takes some guts to step up there and try to take that charge. If you don't get the call, because he's shooting a fadeaway shot to the left from well beyond NBA range that has no prayer. I mean, no, yeah. no chance he's going to make that if shot. If he hits
0: that, it's very similar to Jada's shot.
1: Yeah, like, if he hits it, you tip your cap, you, you say, say okay, cool. what are we supposed to do, and you get ready for Kentucky. So it was completely unnecessary to try and take that charge. But it worked. But it worked. So he promised Rick Barnes, he said after the game, he promised him he wasn't going to do it again. That's probably a good idea. I don't know. at what, I'm wondering at
0: what point Admiral saw him running down the court and said, I'm going to take a charge here. <laughs> I know exactly where he's going, and I'm going to take a charge here. Because I tell you what, if Rick Barnes knew he was going to do that, Rick Barnes would have found a way to call a timeout with Ole Miss <laughs> Evan the ball. He would, have, he would have thrown spilled water on the court or something. Something was happening. He's not letting that happen. And I don't know what Admiral was thinking, but again, it worked. And yeah. I know he shouldn't
1: do that again. And he was, I don't know know if this was his thinking, but it's almost like he sat there in that one spot and said, hey, if this guy runs into me, I'm going to take a charge. And if he goes around me, so be it. I'd like to think that if he took a couple dribbles to the left, Admiral wasn't going to slide with him and continue to try to take the charge. But it's almost like he sat in that one spot since he crossed half court and said, I'm going to sit here. If he runs me over, yeah, he runs me over. And that ended up being what happened. I'm going to add a few additional topics, short topics, short topics to this list. Uh, Who sweats more, Kermit Davis or Bruce Pearl? If you asked me that question yesterday morning, I'm I'm saying Bruce Pearl. That was an impressive display from Kermit Davis last night. I will say that. But he didn't sweat through his jacket that I could tell. His jacket was a little darker, I believe, so you might just not have been able to see it. But Bruce sometimes can drench his, his entire sport coat. So I'm still gonna give the nod to Bruce until Kermit Davis proves that he can get through that sport coat.
0: Okay. Uh, did you watch Admiral Schofield's Instagram
1: story? I didn't see his. I didn't see it on Instagram, but it made its way to Twitter, and I did okay. see. I'm assuming the him Bowden and Grant dancing was that was his Instagram story. What are your thoughts of guys dancing
0: in a bathroom after a, a late win and? Obviously, Jordan Bowden is the best dancer. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would say that it's very obvious that Admiral Schofield was the second best dancer. Um, Between Brad Woodson and Grant Williams, who was the worst dancer in the video?
1: The worst? It's probably Grant. Grant looked a lot more uncomfortable than Brad Woodson did. Woodson came in, had a short cameo, didn't get a whole lot of time in the video, unfortunately, but he came in... Made his presence known, he got out. He's a walk-on, he knows what he's supposed to do. It's not about him. He's not an attention seeker, so he played his role pretty well. Grant, obviously, all eyes are on him. He's reigning SEC Player of the Year. I just didn't think he really had his best stuff out Maybe he did have his best stuff. Maybe he's just a bad dancer. I don't know. You don't think he's one with the rhythm? <laughs> it, it might just be unfortunate that he was with Bowden and Schofield. So they're obviously pretty good. Maybe that makes him look worse than he is. But if you're Grant, you got to know hey, there's somebody else. Maybe I tag in Bone. I tag in somebody else in this situation.
0: Did you ever have a uh, post game bathroom video in no. your high school career?
1: No. If our coach would have seen that, then he might have disbanded the team.
0: Okay. Uh, Saturday, Kentucky. Last topic. We'll get out of here on this. Uh, obviously. Bludgeoned in Rupp Arena, you were there. You drove three hours to Lexington to watch PJ Washington score eighty-seven points on Tennessee. Um, what are your? I guess. guess what? What do you? What happened in that first game that you want to see Tennessee improve upon in Thompson-Boling Arena Saturday?
1: You have to double PJ Washington. You know, <laughs> that, that we easy? talked about that after the Kentucky game. If you let him go one-on-one. Things might be different now with Reed Travis not playing. Maybe you put Kyle on him and you hope Kyle's length bothers him a little bit and maybe you don't have to bring over a second guy. But if you're going to put someone like Admiral on him or someone like Grant, you got to bring a second guy. And you don't leave Harrow, but you just kind of take your chances with other guys shooting the ball. And if they knock down shots, so be it. But if you let P.J. Washington one-on-one turn over that left shoulder like he did time and time and time again in Rupp Arena – He's going to score 30 points. And if he scores 30 points, you're probably not going to win the game.
0: I will say this. Um, the thing I'm looking forward to the most is, in my eyes, I think we have a neck-and-neck a neck race right now for SEC Player yeah. of the Year between Grant Williams and P.J. Washington. I want to see those two go out there and try and win that award Saturday. I want to see Grant realize that he hasn't played up to his normal standards last month.
1: He was pretty good yesterday. Yeah, but I, I want What's to that? see
0: him dominate a game like he did at Vanderbilt. Or something like that. Like, he hasn't done one of those in a while. He hasn't scored
1: 43 in a while. I'll give you that. Well, he's had, what I'm saying is he's had
0: spurts where he looks like Grant Williams. He's also had very long spurts where he hasn't demanded the ball, hasn't been the same guy
1: he was at the beginning of the season. If he's going to put up those point totals, other guys are going to have to hit shots around him. I agree. Because if nobody is scared of Jordan Bowden shooting, which right now you have absolutely no reason to be scared of Jordan Bowden shooting. If you're not scared that other guys are going to hit shots, you're going to continue to send two. Kentucky sent three people at him most times he caught the ball. And I don't care how good Grant Williams is, there's not a whole lot you're going to do with Kentucky sending three of the most athletic people in the country at you. So for him to have another dominant game, they're going to have to start respecting other players on the floor. I just want to
0: see Grant Williams and P.J. Washington text each other before the game and say, hey, this one's for the SEC Player of the Year. Let's go at it, and I would just want them like to just throw haymakers. at It's so like other a
1: gentleman's haymakers. agreement for no double teams. Yeah, just like a no. one-on-one battle yeah, down low. Like
0: I guard you, you guard me. Let's go after it, and I'll be happy. That's that's all I want. Yeah, it'd be fun. Let's do it. Be all right, well, that's all we got for you guys this week. I hope you uh, enjoyed it, and uh, as always, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at to be Blunt Pod. Um, And if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about the podcast, make sure to email us at 2 at gmail.com. Follow us on SoundCloud. And uh, you can also subscribe on iTunes and rate and review while you're still there. Um, And that's all we have for you guys this week. Uh, We'll see you next week. Deuces.